What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back once again to the PC Speaking Podcast. Uh, So great to have you along again this week. It was Father's Day yesterday here in Australia. An interesting thing, uh, originally I'm from the U.S., as you can tell by the way I speak, but um, Father's Day is on different days in Australia and the States, whereas in um, Mother's Day, what am I trying to say? Mother's Day is actually on the same day. I have no idea why they're different, but I'm sure there's some kind of reason for it. So if you are in Australia, I really hope you had a great Father's Day yesterday. Got to spend some time with your family. I know that there's always different family situations. Sometimes Father's Day can be especially challenging for some. And always just take a little time to recognize that. But I hope it was good for you. Um, As I was looking and searching and putting together things for Father's Day, I was digging around on the internet looking for fatherly advice. And I found a website that shared some advice that uh, some top executives had received from their fathers. So I'll share a little bit of that with you now. Uh, A few things from them said, we're the average of the people we spend time with. That's an interesting one. Another one, every stranger can teach you something. Character counts. Be grateful and humble in whatever role you play. Leave it better than you found it. Kindness and generosity go a long way. And always shine your shoes. I like that shine your shoes one. We're going to be talking from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 today, the book of Proverbs, a familiar proverb, maybe you've heard it before. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Again, well-known proverb, maybe you've heard it before. It's often interpreted in different ways. It's sometimes interpreted to mean that a child should be trained or brought up in a way that is in accordance with the nature of the child, or in other words, you customize your approach to the kind of kid you're dealing with. And I don't think necessarily that's the implication of the verse, although that concept is quite valid and a good one and something you would use in the application of the verse. Uh, Others interpret Proverbs 22.6 to mean that children should be trained in a manner befitting a child, meaning you use vocabulary and concepts that a child can understand. And of course, that would also apply in the application of this verse, but it's not really the implication of the verse. I think this verse is more about what to teach and why to teach it than it is about how to teach it. And Solomon tells us in this verse that a child should be instructed in biblical principles as early as possible. As young as you can start, you should. And building those fundamental principles early in a child's life so that as they grow up, they have those principles to guide them as they go through life. And we all know Um, or we all want to equip young people to make good decisions. And my wife still occasionally says to our kids who are adults now, when they're leaving the house, she says, make good decisions. Um, Another thing to understand about this proverb is that, unfortunately, it's not making a promise. Sometimes I've heard it kind of um, interpreted that way, but I don't think it's making a promise. But what it does do is give us a pattern to follow. Because, well, there comes a point in life where children are responsible for their own choices, regardless of how their parents have raised them. And sometimes kids grow up, they get older, they do what they do. And 
They can make bad choices, even if they come from a good home. Or they can make good choices if they come from a bad home. But <clears throat> if you follow the pattern of teaching, biblical principles early, the probability of good decisions will increase dramatically. But we often struggle with exactly how to do that. And since this is kind of geared towards men and fathers, I'm going to be speaking, uh, oh, I guess in a way that would uh, show that. But, you know, there's always application for everyone in these things. But in, in, in uh, you know, yeah, sometimes we struggle with how to raise our kids as fathers. But in doing that well, we're, you know, we're doing more than simply providing a set of rules to follow a system of punishment and reward, or just giving advice. We're helping to build an identity. We're helping kids build their identity. And I don't think you can over overstate the importance and significance of the part fathers play in forming that identity. There's maybe many factors involved, but an active and present father is from what I can tell, one of the largest, if not the largest influence in forming a child's identity. And you think back to when you were a kid and you think about how your father shaped your identity, you know, hopefully you had a good father. But I remember trying to follow in my father's footsteps as a little kid in a literal way. I remember walking behind my dad in the snow, trying to step in his footprints, hopping from footprint to footprint. And that's what kids do. They imprint on their dad and they copy what they do and <clears throat> you know, I fully understand different scenarios and situations among families, but whatever situation you might be in, <clears throat> as a father at any age, with any age of children, the best opportunity to succeed as a father is to model the identity in yourself that you would like them to have. You can preach, you can discipline, you can encourage, you can set boundaries and rules, uh, which are all important things to do, but the thing that will be the biggest influence at any age is the identity that you model as a father. You live that identity in your words and your actions. You walk the walk, just not talk the talk, so to speak. The identity you want for your kids should be the identity you model, even with adult kids. Your identity is demonstrated in your words, your actions, your presence, all of those things. If you are a dad who wants your kids to go to church, for instance, well, you need to go to church yourself. I've, I've seen that so many times in church over the years where kids will come when they're small, but if their father doesn't come, when they get old enough, they'll stop coming themselves. Um, as a father, you, you treat your wife well if you want a son who treats women well, if you want your daughter to be someone who expects men to treat her well, model that with her mother. And again, I don't think we can overstate the importance of fathers. And I know there's somewhat of a culture drift uh, to believe that men and fathers are not really that important or they aren't as, you know, as important as maybe used to be thought. It may be true that some men have not taken their role as men and fathers seriously, but that doesn't lessen the importance of men's role in any way. It just means that some men have a lot of room for improvement. I wrote about the importance of fathers in my blog this past week, and I read a pile of statistics about the negative effects of a father being absent. And it affects everything, how well kids do academically, how they do socially and physically, how they do in sport, 
uh, a father a father matters in all of those areas. And I don't want to get too negative or dark with this, but I was watching an, an interview with a child molester. I think it was on YouTube. And he said he looked for a couple of things in his victims. One was a lack of spiritual values in the home, which um, I thought was an interesting one. I was kind of surprised to hear that that's something he would look for. Uh, lack of values in the home, spiritual values in the home, and he was looking for children to groom. And he also said that if he perceived the father as a potential threat, he wouldn't go there. He wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't try to groom that kid if he perceived the kid's father as a threat, which I thought was really interesting as well. And in that case, there's an influence that a father is having that they don't even know they are having. And, you know, who, who knows where else that applies, but, you know, often we are having an influence on people when we don't even realize it. So I read heaps of statistics and studies about the negative effects of the absence of fathers. But one thing I noticed about all of those statistics <clears throat> is that the only thing taken into account regarding the father was whether or not he was present as a father. There was no metric for how good the father was, just that he was present in the home. The quality of the father would be, I don't know, That'd be incredibly difficult to measure and then incorporate into any kind of study anyway. I don't even know how you would do that. But I think men can find encouragement in that. Fathers can find encouragement. You don't have to be a perfect dad. You just, you have to be a present dad. If you are present and involved and trying to do your best, you'll have a powerful and positive impact. And of course, a father does, you know, you do the best you can. But knowing that being present and involved in the day-to-day things is where the difference is made. And I think our current cultural climate has drifted from understanding the importance of the role of men and fathers in culture and society. And to be fair, that's partially the result of men not being present, not living up to their responsibilities, not acting like men, being selfish, all of those things. But there seems to be a cycle that cultures go through. They kind of pendulum back and forth. And there's a time when people understand the importance of morality and the roles of the family shaping culture and society. And a society enjoys the benefits of healthy families for a while, but then forgets the sources of those benefits and forgets the importance of families. And they forget the importance of the role of a father in those families. And it requires good and strong men to fulfill their role as men, leaders, and fathers. When you're dealing with young children, it's easy to form their identity. Um, They want to be with you. They want to spend time with you. They want to be like you. It's uh, quite easy to have a, a, a big impact on a small kid. But when kids get bigger, you tend to have a smaller impact. And they get older, things become more challenging. And a lot of men and fathers really struggle to get along with their adult kids and other people in their culture. And I've seen that a lot. Um, there's, yeah, a lot of fathers really have a hard time getting along with their adult kids. And from what I've gathered, here's why my take on why I think that is. And inherently, men want to be leaders and influence other people. It's just kind of what you do as a father, a man, a dad, And men want to be respected. And to illustrate this, generally speaking, women want to be loved. And that's very important to them. 
men want to be respected. Um, women want to be loved. Men want to be respected. Men don't care near as much about love or being loved. Um, men are often not even that worried about whether or not other people like us. Uh, whereas love is important to a woman, respect is the counterpart of that in men. Men want to be respected. We want to be admired for our qualities. We want to be admired for our accomplishments. You know, and if you want to make your father feel special, uh, that's how to do it. Respect and admiration. He'll appreciate that more than anything else. And as a father and man, if uh, your children, even if they're adults, do not listen to you or do what you think you should, they should do, you feel disrespected. And in perspective, um, it would be like a mother who feels like her children or family doesn't love her. That's what disrespect is like for a man. And fathers get angry when they are disrespected, regardless of the age of the kids. And anger is a secondary emotion. Um, there's always something else behind the anger or underneath the anger. It's a product of something else. Sometimes uh, fear can be an example. Sometimes men react to fear in anger, but it's actually the fear that's causing the anger. But in the case of what we're talking about today, um, disrespect, it's anger is the product of emotional pain. When a father feels disrespected, by his wife or children, it's it hurts in a way that would be similar to how a mother would feel if her children said, I don't love you. And you can see how, especially with older or adult kids, that can spin into a very negative cycle. A father feels disrespected, he gets angry. Maybe he has a son, his father's angry, the son feels disrespected or a daughter feels unloved and they react in kind and just goes back and forth and spins off into a negative cycle. And it's kind of like throwing petrol on open flames. Things blow up sometimes to the point that families fall apart. I've been a husband, a father, pastor, leader, and a man for a while now. Um, and I've done my fair share of getting angry because of the emotional pain of being disrespected both in you know family, in relationships, in ministry relationships, things like that. There's been times when I've got angry because people have acted in a disrespectful way. And people will say things like men need, you know, men need to be loved, men need to express their feelings and things like that. And if there were women, that would be true, but they're not women. Men need respect, but something for to understand as a man is that respect is something you build and it's something you earn. It's not something that just happens or that's just given to you without cause. You build it, you earn it. And I found something that's been very helpful with that in recent years. And I've talked to some men about this before, but I'm, I'm, I'll share it again today. And it's following a command from Jesus, Luke chapter six, verse 31. And in this verse, Jesus says, do unto others, as you would have others do unto you. Now that is so simple, yet so profound and so powerful. And when we read that, when we hear that, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Oh, that's the golden rule, whatever. We kind of almost brush over it because we feel like we already know it. But what we're gonna do is put the brakes on for a minute and, and park here with this verse and dig into it a little bit that 
do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that is applicable in the father-child relationship at any age. It is applicable in any relationship at any age. And it's how you build uh, respect. It's how you build respect. And how it's applied will change with age, but the principle is the same. Even in discipline and instruction with a very young kid, you can think, you know, you've got a kid, say he's like Marty McFly and he's eight years old and he uh, burns a hole in the carpet. And how would I want my father to treat me if I were that kid? And not just in letting me off the hook, of course, that's what I'd want as a little kid, but knowing what I know now, what would be the best for me? What would I want to learn? What would I want to be taught? What would I need to know? And what would be the best thing for me to do? So we would do unto others as we would have them do unto me in a situation like that as a father. And we mentioned how kids mimic their fathers. And that can be true even when they get older if you apply Luke 6, 31 well. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. We probably understand that you can't force people to do things. You can't force kids to do, adult kids anyway. You, You can't force them to do what you would like them to do, even if it's the best thing for them but you can model what you would like them to do and treat them the way you would like to be treated. When you love people and respect them, they will generally reflect that same behavior. Little kids are different, but as kids grow, get older, we're kind of talking about more adult kids in this scenario. But when you love people and respect them, they will reflect that behavior back at you. And when people feel loved and respected, they are infinitely more receptive to what you have to say. And you do it well enough and they might even ask what you think. That's something I've you know, learned as a pastor, as a leader, as a father, as a husband. You know, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And you build respect. You build credibility with people when you do that. And when you treat people in that way, they reflect it back at you. They're infinitely more receptive to what you have to say. And if you do it well enough, they might even ask you what you think about stuff. They might seek you out for advice. <clears throat> but then there's always a scenario where you treat someone with love, respect, you mean well, you say something, um, and you act in a certain way. But you know, what if they don't reflect that behavior back at you and they are disrespectful? You know, the, specifically adult kids. What does Jesus say about that? He says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, You know, he doesn't, that doesn't change just because somebody doesn't treat you that way. And that often requires swallowing your pride and just letting some things go. And remember, you're following a pattern to form an identity and you must model that identity before you can form it in someone else. And we also need to ask ourselves, what identity am I trying to form exactly? What is it that you want your children to be? What, what identity do you want them to have? <sighs> to help someone else form an identity at any age, you have to first understand where you find your own identity. You have to first know your own identity, understand it, form it. And many people don't know that. Many people don't really know where they draw their identity or even what it is. But for a Christian, you have to find your identity in Christ. That's where we find our identity, draw our identity, and build it. If you seek it anywhere else, you will be forever disappointed. 
if your identity is found in being a respected father, you're going to be disappointed because there's going to be times when you're disrespected. If you find your identity in being a leader, a businessman, whatever, there are going to be times when you're disappointed. I know for myself as a pastor, and I'm sure this, I'm, I'm certain I'm not alone in this, but many pastors or four pastors, I shouldn't say many pastors, but four pastors, it's really easy to draw your identity from your ministry and what you do and the fact that you're a pastor and you shepherd your flock and all of these different things where you can draw your identity from those instead of actually drawing your identity in Christ, which is what you're trying to get everyone else to do. But if you find your identity anywhere besides Christ, what's going to happen is when someone attacks that identity or that identity feels threatened, that's going to lead to anger. And that identity will, if it's harmed, if it's changed, if it's challenged, if it's threatened, that's going to lead to anger. I have uh, was did a lot of, well, I do a fair bit of social interaction on social media with people putting reels out there and things like that. And I found interesting when it's, you can tell where people draw their identity when they react in an angry way to something you say. Like I was recently putting some stuff out about um, critical thinking and rationality among Christians. And that is a place where an atheist, for instance, draws a lot of their identity is from intellectualism. They think that they have, uh, well, rationalized that there is no God and that it's their superior intellect that allows them to do that, which by the way, is not the case. That's not true. It's not IQ that determines whether or not a person is a believer or an unbeliever. It's a many of a multitude of other factors. But when you challenge that identity of intelligence, it is very upsetting for someone who draws their identity there. And I found uh, when I talk about those things, atheists get upset about that because it challenges their identity. I don't intend to upset anybody, but it happens when you challenge someone's identity. But your identity can't be harmed. It can't be changed. It can't be challenged if you find it in Christ. And that's what you want for your family as a father. You help form their identity by leading them to find their identity in Jesus. And Paul wrote a couple of letters to the church of Corinth, um, First and Second Corinthians. And if you're familiar with the church of Corinth, you would know that they were struggling. They had all kinds of problems in that church with sin and immorality and whatnot. But um, Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And you can see there that Paul draws his identity from Christ, being in Christ, and he is leading others to do the same. And as a man, live that verse, find your identity in Christ and lead others to do the same. Um, the most important thing you can do is help your children find their identity in Christ. First, continually seek your own identity in Christ and lean into Luke 6.31 even if it's difficult, you're a man, you can handle it. And yeah, I hope you find that helpful. I know it's challenging being a dad, being a father, but do unto others as you would have them do unto you and be an imitator of Christ and lead others to do the same. 
Well, I hope you have a great week and I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. 